Hey there, Soul Fam. I hope you are loving season three of Ceremony Circle Podcast as much as I have been. Thank you so, so much to all of you longtime listeners who have sat around the fire with myself and the guests. I know there are many of you who have joined me for every single episode so far, and it means so much. And if you're new to the show, I welcome you with an open heart and arms. I am your host, shaman and author of the best-selling book, Animal Power, Allison Charles. And today we flow into the super potent waters of cancel culture, forgiveness, shame eradication, embodiment, and spiritual awakenings with Allie Tate Cutler. She is a plus-size model, podcast host, entrepreneur, mother, and embodied shame releaser. While working as a model for the last decade for some of the most prestigious brands, she walked through the fires of shame herself and discovered practical somatic therapies that allowed her to forgive the deepest parts of herself. Allie was Victoria's Secret's very first plus-size model, and she is also the co-founder of an intimate skincare brand called Playdates. And as you'll hear in the episode, I've known Allie for quite a few years, taken up back to our time where we both lived in Brooklyn. So it was such an honor to finally sit down with her in this format and hear the full story straight from her mouth on what it was like being thrown into the spotlight, both simultaneously regarding the biggest moment of her career, while also pertaining to the fires and stones of cancel culture. Talk about duality. And we cover subject matter that I feel really needs to be discussed. And I do get pretty passionate around some aspects of my points. And I just want you aware that the passion comes from an embodied place within myself, as I know from personal experience what it's like when someone focuses solely on another person so that we can attempt to escape the tending to the healing and growth that we more desperately need to do for ourselves. Allie and I, we get into that topic in the conversation and I could feel a lot coming up for me there. Also, more topics we cover, calling someone in, calling someone forward, and alternatives to attempting to, quote unquote, call someone out publicly, aka we get into transmuting cancel culture. How cancel culture, is my view, is the modern day burning of the witch. We also talk about unconditional love and so much more. I truly feel this episode will open up additional liberated healing gateways for this world and beyond. So let's get to it, shall we? Welcome to the journeys of walking both international catwalks and also the fires of cancel culture and shame with plus-size model, entrepreneur, mother, and embodied shame releaser, Allie Tate Cutler. I feel like such interesting energy today. I don't know. I know what you mean. It's like a cornucopia of things. Yeah. But I'm so happy. One thing I'm very clear on is I'm very happy that you're joining me today on Ceremony Circle. Thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And in that little tune in of where I wanted to begin with you, I got traversed back to us both being former Brooklynites. Mm -hmm. And that's where we met. I don't recall how you decided to invite me to have me on your podcast, The Love You Give, but I remember going to you and Sam's place and that was the first place we met, correct? Yeah. Yeah. It was at my first like Brooklyn apartment. 
Yeah, that Berry was a nice Street. spot. You had a good location. It was a good spot. Yeah. yeah. And that's no longer. No longer. No, we were both currently out of Brooklyn in Austin. Yeah, I know. It's been such a funny trajectory because I exited Brooklyn while I still had my place in Kabul Hill. Oh my God. I almost forgot the neighborhood I lived in. <laughs> that was weird. Kabul Hill. Yeah. yeah. Whoa. That was a strange moment. And then I moved into Luke's place in LA and then, yeah, somehow. And then I remember we were texting somehow one of us was hearing that we were both sniffing out Austin. Yeah. And then the next thing, you know, we're both buying homes and you had yeah. looked in the same neighborhood that Luke yes. and I, it's been fun for me to kind of reflect even in this present moment of the thread of you and I knowing each other. And I also always laugh at our time at the shamanic gathering in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> yeah. sharing a very rustic cabin yeah. in very close quarters. Yeah. You and I had our little beds next to each other and shared with Aaron Rose mm -hmm. and Ksenia Brief and her husband, Eric. And the left wing of the cabin was my wardrobe section. I remember I took over that bed to just lay out all of the shamanic instruments and yeah. whatnot. That was... A time. Huh? That was a time. I was really, re I actually was reflecting on Aniwa like maybe two days ago because I saw they had another one going on. Mm -hmm. And I think that for me, that was, there was some serious work going on on a level I'm still probably not even aware of, but like there was some serious shifts that happened during those three days I was there. Do you recall what one of those big shifts was? There was what stands out to me. Well, there's two things that stand out to me. One of them was when we were working with the Ashaninka tribe yeah. and they were doing a hape ceremony and I'd done it before, but not in ceremony like that with music, with like medicinal songs. There was, I remember vividly his daughter mm. was singing music with him and I was like, this is like unreal, just how tight this family was mm. while serving this medicine. And I actually had some visions during that time that I had did hape and I'd never had that before. So that's one. And the second one was, if you remember those elders from like the rock, like they live the in- mamos. Yes. And they like wear the white, yes. and they like, they chisel a gourd. Yes. Yeah. So when I was with them, I literally saw time like move and warp and shift. And they did a water ceremony and it was unreal. And still to this day, I, I do exactly what they said from that, which was every time you're in water, don't alter the way your tears flow. Don't block the rain from hitting you. And when you're in the shower, every time the shower is hitting you, say, thank you, water. I appreciate you all. And I do that now every time I cry or I'm in rain or I take a shower and that fully has stayed with me. So just taking a moment now to honor the Ashaninka tribe mm. and the Mamos and yeah, thanking the Mamos for passing some of the rituals on mm. and for sharing their wisdom ways with us. Yeah, so special. That was a really unique honoring time to be able to spend. I think there were like something like 40 different indigenous tribes who came in, different elders. And I mean, yeah, that kind of activation and immersion absolutely will like, it just stays with you throughout all lifetimes moving forward. Yeah. That was a portal. Yeah. And the fact that we were just in the middle of nowhere and like, I forget, like, 
I forget how many hundreds of acres in the woods. I still don't know where we were. <laughs> like, I think it was like in the Berkshires, but I don't know where okay. we were. Yeah. I've never made it back. Like yeah. I couldn't replicate the journey again. No way. No way. <laughs> yeah, that was a special time. And I'm glad we kind of anchored in there for a moment because that's where I wanted to begin. You and I both also share a past of being hardcore college athletes. You were mm-hmm. soccer. I was distance running. And Yeah, I'd love for you to just start to touch on and let the Soul Fam listening start to begin to understand where these openings of spirituality came Mm, for you. That's a fun one. I like that. I think for me, they didn't, I mean, maybe they did, but I can't remember. But really the first time I remember clocking on to there was more going on than meets the physical eye was in my 20s, but I'll I'll return to that. So yeah, I did play soccer. I was a division one athlete played in the Maccabees, which is the Jewish Olympics. No one knows that exists. Um, I only do because you told me before, (laughs) but I was very proud of you. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) We won the gold. So that's great. Um, I played soccer five days a week for 15 years. It was super intense. I got a scholarship to UCSB to play goalkeeper. And then I went to King's College in London. I played for Wimbledon over there. And so I'd always just been goalkeeper's unique position as well. It's kind of a a lone wolf position. Yes. So there's absolutely like a mind, a mind game that goalkeepers play in the back. And I'd always been, I don't know, a bit different, but weirder than everyone else on my team. I remember having conversations with my parents when I was younger, we'd have like Bible talks, not that we were religious, but they would like talk, like grill us on biblical questions from the Torah and the New Testament at the dinner table. And we would talk about the meaning of life. And like, I don't know, I, to me, I always thought it was not like every family's conversation at the dinner table. And then when I had gone on my first juice cleanse, I went with my family in Israel when I was 24 a juice cleanse in Israel sounds pretty powerful. It's pretty powerful. <laughs> because yeah. I went to Israel and didn't do a juice cleanse and it was incredibly powerful. Absolutely. <laughs> Imagine like the two coming together. It's absolutely mental actually. Uh-huh. And at the time I'd been modeling and I'd said no to a really big job and it was this like front page of a really big magazine and it was that or the juice cleanse. Ooh. And I remember at the time being like, wow, if I say yes to that magazine, like my career is going to explode. But there's this juice cleanse and like I'm confirmed on it. And with my family, with my husband, my brother, and I decided to do it. And I'm so glad I did because... Can you hold right with the because I mm. just want to reflect how same-z's portal mm. present day-ish and just a different form, like these choice points between... But anyways, carry on yeah. with your because. We'll get to the other one. Yeah. Okay. So I had gone to this juice cleanse and it was with this guy named Dr. Gabriel Cousins. He's a rabbi. He's a doctor. He is a Lakota rain dancer. He's got all these different lineages going on. And at that time I was, I think on day seven or day eight in my juice cleanse, which I've never done before. And he did a Kundalini meditation. And at that point, I remember him touching the top of my head. It was a Shakti pot and which is like transmission of energy typically comes from someone who's trained in this lineage who can kind of infuse you know, source energy into you. And I remember when he touched the top of my head, my whole body like exploded Mm. in like rash. Like it was a rat, it was like hives. And I started seeing really wild colors. And that was my first experience with that ever happening. Not that I doubted, but I just, it hadn't happened to me at that point. Mm -hmm. And I went to him after and I said, you know, I'm having some kind of reaction here. 
this was my experience. Is this normal? What's going on? It was like, yeah, it was Kundalini awakening. All good. Calm down. And the next, I guess, seven years were just consistent upgrades from that point where it was like, once that had kind of been opened, that's where my interests went. That's where my desires went. That's where I went in that, those spiritual corners. I was just kept getting pulled to them. Yes. And I really didn't have, like, if I'm a soccer player, I'm a model, there weren't that many, like, I didn't have that much familiarity with spirituality before in my life. Never went to church, never went to temple. I didn't pray. I didn't meditate. But really it was just the ripe opening at the right time. And I then started really focusing on my evolution. Well, it's interesting that, and what's been really beautiful for me to witness and knowing you now for so many years and then Mm. getting to also know some of your family members is you guys somehow began to move as this like unit. Yeah. Which yeah. is, I feel pretty unique. Yes. Yeah. And that is really intriguing to me that, yeah, somehow you guys, whether soul contract wise or subconsciously or just like telepathically decided we're going to get in this together yes. because your parents ended up moving into like mm-hmm. a full on spiritual community yes. at some point. They did. Yeah. My dad got cancer when I was 21, prostate cancer. And they basically told him at that point, you don't have that much longer to live. And he started looking into alternative therapies because they were like, you're going to die. And I was like, why not try everything if that's going to happen anyway? Were you just, what, were you just freaking out or was there something deeper in you that allowed you to stay calm Mm. and trust? Yeah, actually there was. I just had, I was studying film in college and I just watched this film called The Beautiful Truth. And it was about the Gerson therapy. And it was the first time I really was like, oh, like there are other ways to heal the body that have not at all been in my field. And we can do this like energetically Mm. through nutrition, through different solutions than we're currently being presented with. And I had told my dad about that film and he had started juice cleansing and he got diabetes and prostate cancer at the same time. And a year later, they were both gone. I mean, diabetes was in remission. Uh, cancer had like almost disappeared. And so when they started getting into this world, they had a fondue restaurant. They went vegan, sold mm. the fondue restaurant, moved to a spiritual community in Arizona called the Tree of Life. And were two very different people from the people I'd grown up with who mm. were my parents. And you were about how old when all that was transpiring? I think I was 20, 21. And looking back, do you feel that you played some sort of a role in holding, helping to hold that line for your father to heal? Yeah. And I love to tell them that because I'm like, <laughs> you're Thanks welcome. to me. <laughs> I'm like, you're here because of me. Um, <laughs> you survive. You're a survivor because of me. <laughs> you owe me a lot. <laughs> um, no, I, I definitely think that a lot of stuff had come into the field that was already in my mom's kind of storyline and vision, Mm. but really she needed someone from the family to make that jump with her. It's always like stronger when we have someone else in our family unit who's like on our page and ready to go that direction or else it's pretty difficult. It's like, you know, being alienated from the family. So me and my mom were both kind of heading in this direction, which is the feminine of the family moving everyone that direction. Yeah. Letting the Oracle wisdom current guide. Yeah. Wow. And so how, what was the journey like? So 
for the people that listened through the intro of this episode, you heard that Ali's been a famous model for a very long time. But for anyone who skipped over the intro part, letting you know that now, and I'd love for you to share a little bit about, you know, what that balance or dance was like as you're walking catwalks and doing cover shoots and end up becoming the first plus size model in the history of Victoria's Secrets. Like you're, you know, in this upper echelon of the modeling world, yet not ignoring and answering the call to all of these spiritual initiations and activations. Mm -hmm. How was that management of all of that? Mm, really difficult. I think when I first started modeling, it was easier because I had my whole life felt that I had been overweight, ugly, insecure about my body. Even though I played soccer like five days a week, I just was always bigger than everyone. And when I first started plus size modeling, in a way, it was this like really backdoor way of validation to kind of clear that energy that had come with me. And it did. I, I definitely don't have any body issues anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm very grateful for that because if I hadn't gone through this plus size modeling thing, I definitely probably would have wasted so much of my mental energy on the aesthetic. When you started to model and making that transition in terms of your own self-image, self-respect, whatever you want to label it as, was part of what was helping that process for you seeing yourself in some of these shots and like starting to see, oh, wow, yeah, I am a little curvier or thicker, but I'm fucking hot. Yes. So (laughs) there is definitely a like aha moment that comes with that. And it wasn't for the first year, I was humiliated when I saw photos of myself. I was like, oh my God, like how, how do I think I can do this? I'm putting myself out there like this. And I looked like, I thought I looked terrible. My Mm. face was like, it just didn't move. I didn't know how to be feminine. I was a goalkeeper, you know, like it was like learning a new language and these girls would get up in front of me and just absolutely smash it. And I would just, just be like, Oh my God, I can't believe I'm doing that. I'm embarrassing myself. And then I started to treat modeling a little bit like soccer. And I was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to look at what angles work for me. I'm going to check out photos that come up on the screen and go, okay, like that's a good shape for my body. That's not a good shape for my body and start to learn how to move. And there was one day where it kind of clicked and I was like, oh, like it's a fluid, all these kind of realizations came to how you can model well. Mm -hmm. And I had treated it like just practice. And from that moment on is when I started to get secure in my body. It wasn't before. I was actually really going through like the intense, like, whoa, I hate myself. The the fires of that. Then you got into a different unification connection with with your body in a new way. Absolutely. Whoa, that's beautiful. Okay. Now we're getting to an intriguing place because there's so much to your journey, but I am kind of a little bit more quickly than what I might've anticipated getting pulled into that full on fire point. Mm. And even when I was in the last few days, just tuning into potential questions and stuff. And I was, I had nothing to do with this fire, but I was just kind of feeling into that process for you. I was Mm -hmm. like, I was like, I hope she's going to be cool. You know, it's now obviously a big part of your story. So there's kind of in some ways, no escaping it just because there's so much medicine in it Yeah, and you have your own podcast and you're in the public eye. And so it's one of those stories where, well, I have another question about that, but if we can share with people 
I think I had read the news or maybe I'd heard from you that you had landed this gig, this mm -hmm. first ever in the history of Victoria's Secret, Allie Tate Cutler's first plus size model. And I was like, whoa, you know, like, woo. And correct me if I'm wrong, but it wasn't long after that. It might've been same day, same week when all of a sudden this other side to this story started mm -hmm. to come in. Yeah. So if you can shed some light. Yeah. I really like to sit into this one because it was such a big, it felt like such a big part of my journey is a big part of my journey and I'm actually really grateful for it. So I want to like really fully feel into that. Yeah. So take your time. There was a point when I had started modeling just to give everyone the backstory on this. When I had started modeling, maybe about seven years ago, I had written something in response to an article, which was about obesity. Obviously I'm a plus size model. And in this response, I'd basically said something along the lines of obesity wasn't good for the environment. And I shot this thing out without thinking. I was on Facebook thinking like, who cares what a 25 year old. I also was at a point in my life where I was like, overworking as mom was super tired. I think it wasn't like five hours of sleep that day. And there was still elements of self body hatred going on. And I said this comment, what I meant and what I said didn't come out as the two, as they came out as very different things. And this was a very big teachable moment for me where it was like, not filter, but do you mean what you say? Mm -hmm. Are you saying things from a place of love? Or are you saying things from a place of contrarian, antagonizing. And so this comment had ended up screenshotted by the plus size community. It kind of blew up and everyone was like, that's a fat shamer, blah, blah, blah. Agents calling me, what the fuck have you just done? I'm about to hop on a flight to, from Cuba to London and all this is going viral. I think I'm going to land and like Ellen's going to be there and be like, yeah, comment. In the face. Yeah. yeah. And so how long before you landed the Victoria's Secret job was this comment made? Oh, that was four or five years before. And so someone just happened to remember? Literally everyone. This is, and this is a big thing I'm so passionate about. And I love to give this talk and wind it up and kind of give the backstory on it because I'm very passionate about talking about cancel culture. Yeah. Now, when I had said this comment, there's still people in the plus size community who are like, cancel culture isn't real, or you just were, you're being held accountable for what you said. And the issue that I have with these stances are, while yes, I wish I had said things in a clear way that were less antagonizing or... Yeah. The thing that comes up for me as I'm listening to you share about it and in a recent episode, I don't know, maybe episode 63-ish, I had a therapist named Vasavi Kumar and her whole thing, her book title, her podcast is all about say it out loud, but then mm -hmm. she gives these practices to do before you say it out loud. Yeah. And it's like, what is the energy behind this yes. before you post? Yes. Yes. Which is like become an essential part of my practice now. But I mean, ultimately what's going on a lot today online is no one's thinking before they say anything out loud. Correct. It's a lot um, of pain body projections yes, and all of that. Yes. And it's a lot, there's a lot going on there. There's multi, many levels of energetic, psychological, physiological things going on when we say things online. But my teachings that really came through from that point was I said this thing, I had apologized. I apologize again. Victoria's Secret, I did something else for Reformation. Victoria's Secret came out and it was like, these articles came out about me being a fat shamer again. I was like, dude, this is like six years later. Like, And I've already you know, said acknowledgement. Yeah, I had. 
And people are like, well, I don't see the apology. Where is it? And I was like, no, but my agents were advising me the whole time how to handle it, which was not at all how I wanted to handle mm. it. And I had deleted this apology. Thus, it was like it never happened. Mm. But I, I, I felt like, piece of it. yeah, like I felt like I was constantly having to apologize when my head was in such a different space. Like I was like, wow, that person from that snippet is yeah. so different from the person that you're talking about now. And it really got me thinking about the nature of accountability. And I put that in parentheses because I don't think what's going on is accountability. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of vindictiveness because accountability is an inner process and we don't have to hold ourselves accountable to internet strangers, whether or not people, they go online, say, issue an apology. If you feel that what you've done is wrong, absolutely issue that apology. If you are being held ransom by a crowd of people that you don't know because you, you know, infringed on a thought, or you don't agree with whatever group think is going on at that time, you don't have to apologize. Like I'm fully at that level now. You need to have kind of strong boundaries when it comes to self. Yeah. And I hear you. And yeah, there's a few things all entering in. So trying to land Mm. on one. Yeah. Uh, One thing that's just maybe a tangent of a ramble uh, that's entering in is, yeah, I always find it intriguing when people who don't know you, maybe just are aware of your work or follow some accounts and don't know you personally, don't know how you operate in your personal life, take public stance and Mm. try to make attempts at public attacking when they view that one is not behaving or posting or saying X, Y, and Z when something's happening in the world and what you're doing is different than what they think you should do, but they have no idea the deep healing processes that you're doing behind the scenes, because those are the things that I don't feel compelled to post about. Nor should you have to. Right. And so that whole dynamic is just shrouded Mm -hmm. in dysfunction Mm -hmm. and toxicity. And the other piece that I have really been excited to ask you this question, it's like I had this whole paragraph on it here, you know, and it's all of this, these thoughts on calling someone forward versus like attempting to publicly call someone out. Mm -hmm. You know, there's very different uh, maneuverings with those two options, Mm. calling forward and attempting to publicly call someone out thoughts on that. And it's, I would like to offer the people listening Mm. alternatives. And if you're someone who's feeling these fires bubbling up and you want to lash out at someone online, what are some alternatives? (laughs) Okay. I love this question. Great. So there's a conversation going on about calling in versus calling out. And calling out is what we see a lot of happening today, right? Person A does something that we don't like or says something we don't like, or perhaps we think is harmful or dangerous. And we take to our public profiles to call them out. And this, we say we are utilizing essentially the basic of this principle is we're utilizing shame to get them to course correct and to do the right thing calling in is looks something more like a private word. Now, someone might have said something you didn't like or done something you didn't like, but the way it differs is that we go to this person and we say, hey, 
I know I'm not going to achieve what my end goal is here through shaming you publicly. And I want to give you some words of love so that we can actually encourage sustainable change. That's if the person wants to change or even believes they're doing anything wrong to begin with, right? People need to get it in their heads that what someone over here thinks is a good idea, someone over here thinks is a bad idea, you're not always going to agree. So it's not always within this person's interest or world to say, yeah, you're right. I totally agree and I apologize and I move forward. But if there is some respectful conversation that can transpire, well, actually you have a really fantastic opportunity of meeting in the middle Mm -hmm. and actually encouraging sustainable change from one or both counterparts. So what I always see happening is this idea of shame, which Brene Brown talks a lot about, and there's a lot of thinkers in the shame space who talk about shame being used as this way to enforce cultural norms, a way to enforce and police other people to get members of the flock back into the flock. And this has been used for thousands of years. We've used shame a thousand years ago in the pillory, in the stocks, the scarlet letter. We've The church has done this for believing in anything else that didn't align with their version of biblical truth. So we've used shame for a very long time. Now, where that's kind of gone off the rails is with the introduction of social media that kind of puts shame into this hyperdrive where now it's like we can shame people, but like so quickly, so easily, mm-hmm. so officially before you'd have to put some work into it. You'd have to like get the person, do a talk, put them in the pillory, throw the tar. And like now yeah. it's like one button, one comment, one flick of a finger is all it takes to really shame somebody. And it just creates so much like it's on the spiral of lower realm. Yes. It's just a spiral of lower it realm. It really is. And so many things I, I have viewed this whole, whatever we want to call it, this whole chapter phase of cancel culture becoming Mm. so rampant from my perspective, it's so loud and clear to me. It's simply the modern day, witch burning hundred percent. It's just like you said, we now have all of these massive social media platforms. I read the other day that I think between TikTok and Instagram, there's like a billion on one and like 3 billion users on the other. And there's only 7 billion people on the planet. It means like the vast majority of the billions of people on the planet have these social media accounts. And it's just the modern day version of putting a witch up on the stage platform in front of the whole town. And publicly shaming yes. them and attempting to burn them to To death. piggyback off that, this idea that shame is a useful regenerative tool, that's the macro level which we need to be looking at and asking, is it? Is that the way? If our end goal here is to get people to change and become better humans, is the method achieving the end goal? Is shame achieving the result that we want? Typically, it's not. The reason it's not, like you said, is because shame can lead to a spiral. And shame, generally, when you talk to many psychologists, is the lowest vibrational level we can, it's the closest to death. When we feel shame, what it really feels like is like, I don't even want to be in my skin. I want to like hop out of my own body because it's so painful and so gross to be in here, which is something I definitely experienced when I got called out. I had articles written about me. I was like, oh my God, I hate myself. I literally, it was the only time I'd ever thought about suicide ideation. This is common with people who are experiencing severe shame cycles. 
the negative thing about shame cycles, a lot of people are like, no, maybe it's a good thing. It's very hard to get out of because it has a reinforcing mechanism where it's like, hate myself, you know, want to get out of my skin. And then you go back to anxiety, depression, isolation, hate myself, want to get out of it. So it works in this circular way. So it's very hard for people who are experiencing shame to elevate and lift themselves out of that cycle. So when we say we want to have someone think differently, be differently, show up better, is shame really the way that we're going to get them to do that? Or is love or is calling them in and saying, Hey, this really triggered me. And I felt like you could have said this better. Are we more likely to get sustainable change that way or the other way Mm -hmm. in every situation I've ever seen of cancel culture? Like, sure. You see people send out an apology that's been finessed by their PR team, but does the apology go down? Well, do people ever forget? Like, does it ever? Yeah. Yes. That is come up so many times in my own experience of, again, people who have never met me and just wanting to project or say whatever. And it's, yeah, when I ever feel into the highest next step forward, when I think about, okay, if I quote unquote answer to this person or attempt again on a social media comment Mm -hmm. section to attempt to relay where I'm functioning Mm -hmm. and what I'm experiencing, that pathway just, there's always, it's just like, that's a hard stop. That's a hard, it's a hard stop. It's a hard stop. And so what I choose to do is exactly what you just said. The answer is always love. And it actually gets me, I feel emotion coming up even when I just land at this place, because it's been such a journey for me. With all of this as well, you know, and I'm so grateful. I think the emotion I'm feeling is just the gratitude that I have finally landed at a place where I'm just so much more secure and anchored in all of this and that I can genuinely go to my altar and send, you know, these people love. And that's my solution is like, if this person is willing and open to receive healing and love, I send it and may they be able to receive it because the other part of all of this, which I know is another layer that you're passionate about speaking of is this whole shrouded in separation, division, toxicity system. Mm -hmm. It creates so much fear and oppression because I've even had people, um, again, it's just easy for me to reference examples of my own personal life. But when some, uh, I don't know, maybe it was last year, did some post about whatever, bad spiritual people and mm-hmm. myself and all of my respected colleagues landed on this list. Mm-hmm. And um, I had a former student reach out to me and she knew this woman who was doing this post and she was just like so upset and crying because she knows, she actually knows me and she's taken my courses and she's been a student of mine. And she's just like, I can't believe this person is doing this. And I know I'm not doing it. I'm so sorry. And this was the day that this was all happening. Mm -hmm. And she said to me, it just gives me even that much more like respect and compassion for people like you and other spiritual teachers. Like she's speaking to me because she knows my purity in my heart. She's like, you are of service in so many ways. And then this is what happens occasionally and return. And it made her, because she was at this pivot point of wanting to be more public as a spiritual Mm. teacher and it shut her down. Yeah. And she's like, I'm, this terrifies me. Yeah. The fact that this is a possibility when you put yourself out there and she like, 
changed, you know, it's her own journey, but she like changed her entire trajectory of her life where she thought she was headed because of this. Yes. So my heart like so strongly goes out to that woman because I completely understand where she's coming from and why that watching what happened to you deterred her. It's very hard to watch that happen to people you love and to not let it deter you from speaking your truth. It's very hard. And what I will say about that is for people who desire to be in the ring of fire, for people who desire to be in the ring, right? Like to actually be on that stage. Fully authentically Fully authentically you. This is the crucible that you are going to walk through right now. And it's not for the lighthearted and it's not for everybody, but there is a big lesson here, which is people are going to, when you have something to say, when you are change making, when you are in, uh, I think there's even a quote from Brene Brown when she's like, when you're in the ring, it's Mm -hmm. only the people outside the ring who criticize you. So when you're actually doing that work, this is inevitable. And I think a lot of people really need to like embody that. And someone that's really great to listen to about this is Africa Brooke. She's an amazing, I guess she's a psychotherapist or therapist, but she works with people on cancel culture and self-censorship. And so the big lesson for me that came from everything that happened to me, and I don't know if this is where you're at, but it's really when we want to speak with integrity, we are going to come up against people who seek to bring that down. And our only role at that point is because most of the time you really can't engage with these people because they're not interested in engaging. It's not, if you were to try to use logic with them, a lot of people don't value logic. So how, what logical argument could you use that they then would value, right? The quote of people being committed to misunderstanding yes. you. Yeah. A lot of people are right now. And I want to actually, don't let me forget, but I want to explain my theory on why I think that is. Mm-hmm. When we are in that space of it is going to happen if you have something novel and something new to say, visionary people, no matter in what industry, what line of thought, it's going to happen. Really for us, it's about having, and like, I like to visualize boundaries around me. Like I'm a citadel, right? Like I'm a fortress and I'm like, this is what I'm here for. I am not here for this energy and I will not receive it. I will not engage with it. I will not entertain it. And so can I keep this boundary around me tight and strong, full of people who are on my same page, people who know who my heart is, what my heart says and lift me up and are there because we do need people to fall back on when that shit gets rough. Mm -hmm. But we also need to know that like, I'm literally not available for this. I am not here for this. Like, come at me. You're going to just run up against a wall. I'm not going to engage, but there's also something nuanced here, right? There's also something to be said for when your character is being defamed or slandered and it's completely out of the bounds or realms of truth, you are entitled. You are in a way obligated to stand up for your character, to stand up for yourself. If these things are being spread and ruining reputations and spread around communities like you are allowed to and don't let anyone tell you should just sit down and take it because these accusations or rumors or gossip have come about you. No, you are allowed to stand up for yourself, who you love, who you respect, who you honor. You would do it for your child. If someone was slandering or bullying your child, you would stand up for them. And we need to treat ourselves that way. It's like, hey, no, that's not true. I'll say this once. That's not true. This is how I feel. Either accept it or don't. It's not my problem how you perceive me anymore. 
but really the the key for me on all this, because so many people are experiencing cancellation. I mean, I can't tell you thousands. There's Clementine Morgan is a cancel culture abolitionist, and she has thousands of people who are tried to kill themselves because they don't know where else to turn. And this is really becoming common. What I wanted to say, which is why do I think that... Like the theory on people committing to being so committed to misunderstanding others. So I think that is heavily related to social media. And when I'd been writing a little book about cancel culture, which I'm sitting on, a, yet to public, writing a little book on cancel culture. Yeah. I'm literally <laughs> sitting on it. Cause I'm not ready for that yeah. yet. It's not in the field yet, but in my research, I was trying to figure out why it's gotten so powerful in the last 10 years. Like, has it always been here? Yes, it has to some extent, but really it's kind of just ignited in power and force. And like, why is that? Mm-hmm. And I realized that there was a quote about Nietzsche who started writing a book. He wrote a book always by hand, but then he switched to typewriter. And when he switched to typewriter, that medium actually affected the way his writing and his thoughts came out, mm-hmm. right? So it's the theory mm-hmm. that technology or mediums can affect the way we interface with the world, the way we perceive the world, and the way that we actually speak and release thoughts. It's the medium that we are starting to learn from and is learning from us. Mm-hmm. So social media- This is resonating as true. Right. FYI. Right. Okay, great. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> So I'm like, on to something here. <laughs> my theory is proved correct my by theory. Allison. Yeah. <laughs> so, and there was also Africa Brooke had talked about this, but it just reinforced what I'd already kind of thought, which is like this language of computers, which is binaries mm. and ones, right? Swipe left, swipe right, dislike, like, mm. up, down. I mean, everything is just black or white. It's trained us to see in binary and it stopped allowing us to see in nuance. I mean, how many long form thoughts do you actually see on Instagram or Twitter or any, right? You have a small space that you can write in. You can't develop a thought that includes all of the gray areas because Mm -hmm. you can't even fit it in. So a lot of what's happening, I feel, including in the mainstream media, and I'm fully calling that out right now because the clickbait is real, right? Fear porn is real. Mm, they get more clicks, headlines. headlines of, uh, can we sow division? And they always get more clicks. Like there was a Japanese study that showed that fearful headlines actually got 10 times the amount of clicks than headlines that had love or were neutral. So there's a lot of that going on as well, but this medium is definitely shaping us right now to not be able to see nuance, to not be able to look at someone like me or you or any of the people who are getting called out every day and go, let me sit with what they just said. And mm-hmm. is there any truth that I can find in that statement? And where might have they been coming from? And can I clarify further? And if I'm feeling this triggered, where can I explore within my own exactly. self? Exactly. And we're not even being encouraged to sit with that nuance, with that gray area, it actually feels a little bit uncomfortable to us at this point in time. Slash to very uncomfortable. I mean, anytime, because yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people out there. I would say the majority of the world population has not at all developed or cultivated a practice of sitting with themselves ever. It's distraction, it's fast moving, it's productivity, it's just helter skelter to avoid. A lot of people, even if it's on an unconscious level, their aim of their unconscious psyche is to avoid discomfort.
Hey, beautiful beings. Today's episode is brought to you by an all-time favorite wellness brand of mine, Lotus Way Flower Essences. I've worked with various products by Lotus Way, whether they're delicious elixirs that you put under your tongue, their Aura Mist, bath salts, teas, chocolates, you name it, I have tried them and I truly, truly love them all. I swear by their purity and the amazing healing essences that they hold. And no matter what you're looking to transcend in life or bring into your life, Lotus Way has a flower essence for that. But one all-around winner is their Sacred Heart Essence. You can get it in their anointing oil form, their aura mist form, or their elixir. I have them all. And it's a blend that's infused with nine different flower remedies to soothe your heart so you can surrender into self-love and acceptance during times of transition. How amazing is that? And like I said, there are nine different flowers in this essence. One of them is White Iris for purity, aligning with your highest potential and receiving unexpected blessings and support. And another one of the nine is Vanilla Bog Orchid to relieve tension so you can move with more gentleness and ease. So just head to lotusway.com. That's L-O-T-U-S-W-E-I.com. And this is so important. Don't forget to put the code word mystic in the coupon section at checkout. That's code word mystic, M-Y-S-T-I-C, because that will gift you 15% off anything you purchase. All right, fam, back to this amazing episode. So this is all very intriguing. Can you share on this journey of this whole medicine-filled story that you're sharing with us, which thank you, by the way, because I know, well, I would guess that there's a lot of education and there's a lot of serviceness in telling this, but I would also imagine, and correct me if I'm wrong, that there's still potentially a layer of like, okay, I've got to ante up to tell this again. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think, I mean, that maybe one day will go away, but my goal is to literally like shame just to put all that shame talk really there. Shame really only survives in the dark. And I had so much shame and PTSD from this cancel culture moment that I had. Like I said, I really thought about suicide ideation. I never really had before. And I got to the lowest of lows. I alienated myself from family, alienated myself from friends, was just not okay for like probably about three years. Wow. And for me, the more research I started doing on shame, the more I realized if I didn't speak about it, that it would never like, it would never come to the light and kind of disapparate. It would always be in me. And so the more I talk about it, the more it becomes this point of like uncomfortable, Ooh, but a little lighter. And so I'm at a point now where I have to say, I'm pretty like, I, I think I'm like 90% non-triggered anymore. Uh There's a 10% left and I can't wait to really move shift that out, but that just comes with time. Yeah. I hear you. It's been similar for me. When I'm going into an interview, I can usually tell intuitively what areas of me and my work they're going to focus on the most. And recently I went on a show and I could just tell it was going to go into the arena of more of the shamanic education that I'm 
I have a responsibility and been tasked with by spirit. And for me, that's my version of this story for mm-hmm. you. Anytime that it pulls into more of that, I don't want to say hardcore, but when you're trying to re-educate people on the real truths of what shamanism is, especially in this day and age, it carries a different load with it. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, when I can tell it's going to be more of that texture, I just have to kind of gear up in mm-hmm. a little bit of a different way yeah. than if it's going to be only about animal totems or me and Luke and higher power couple, yeah. different essences involved. So yeah, I was curious about that with you. And then I would love for you to share that journey then, because if anybody has experienced or is experiencing something similar of the story sharing, the steps you took to forgive self if there if you need it, if you felt compelled to for to need to forgive yourself and also where you're at with forgiveness and energetics toward the people who brought that quote back up out of the grave four or five years later. Mm. Yeah. So forgiveness has been kind of the core of the shame work for me. Forgiveness towards myself. Absolutely. That's been a fair amount of the work I've done with shame, but the also, as you said, people who I feel have misinterpreted or misunderstood or were out to get me or that, that whole kind of victim vibe that I feel in relation to that. I've done a lot of work with that as well. And there's a really powerful meditation that I had come across, I don't know, maybe, yes, seven, six, seven years ago. And it was Ho'oponopono, which is, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Thank you. I love you. And I started working with that and going to places in my body that had been holding shame for me. It was always my stomach and my chest. And I would really go into it and sit with whatever that, and typically it was just like shame and grief, like really some dense stuff in there. And I would sit with it and move through the Ho'oponopono meditation for 20 to 30 minutes. And I would do that in combination with breath work. I'm going to relate this to the wider audience who are listening to the story who resonate with this. I would do this towards people I felt had wronged me in some way. And really after, I would accompany that with cord cutting, where I would be like, you know what, I'm releasing you of any negative feelings from my field. I'm releasing me of any negative feelings from your field. I really imagined that I could meet them in love and hug them and say like, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Thank you. I love you. And also the reminder that we're all here in this thing called earth school and the entire point is to learn and evolve. Yeah. Somehow along the way, again, seems the vast majority of the population walking this planet forgets the entire point of why we chose to incarnate and be Mm -hmm. here. So, you know, I realized that might've sounded the way I just expressed that had like maybe a twinge of criticism or harshness. It's like, but it does get a bit tiring to me. It's just like, can we all just, there's so many things at play, like Number one, learn how to stay in your own lane and do your own effing work and face your own self and take responsibility for where you need to take responsibility for because nine times out of 10 or 10 times out of 10, when you are lashing out and pointing finger out, that time probably should be spent sitting with your own self and doing your own inner exploration and taking your own responsibilities and doing your own inner work. Mm -hmm. And the other piece is just like... Yeah, it's the thing that I drive home every single interview is that we're infinite evolutionary beings here to infinitely evolve. And 
if that is the entire point of our entire existence across all of infinity and the entire point of incarnating in this earth realm to be able to learn, feel, touch, and grow in these unique ways that only this planet can provide to us, why is any of this shaming and canceling, why does it even exist? And I guess you can get into this bigger conversation of duality and like, uh, you know, but it's just like, I guess my point is we're all here to learn and grow. And there are a lot of people, case in point, you and I, who choose to embody and truly live that way of life and to live that infinite evolutionary path because the last little sticky point, and then I'll let you get back into your forgiveness flow because I want to understand what exactly part of you were you forgiving? Like mm-hmm. what were you forgiving yourself for? Mm-hmm. But it's just, so the sticky part is people also seem to blind themselves of the option that that person might've actually changed. You know, it's just like you hold someone in a view. I see it all the time with celebrities and my heart goes out to them. It's like, um, for some reason I always think, and I'm like no Justin Timberlake fan. I'm not saying that whole freaking (laughs) halftime wardrobe malfunction thing wasn't messed up. But it's like, I don't know, maybe the dude is a different person. Wasn't that like 12 years ago? I don't know. So it just gets a bit outlandish. Anywho, um, setting the mic down. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. Um, That was my rant. Yes. And I fully love that you brought in, you know, we are evolutionary beings on this like trippy as fuck cosmic Mm -hmm. journey. And if we really hold that as like, that's what's going on, that's the truth, then this whole cancel culture thing feels a little ridiculous, doesn't it? But to kind of ground into those forgiveness exercises, what I want to say, you know, especially to anyone out there who has it gone through public shaming, a private shaming, a a point where maybe they felt that their values and their actions didn't align to anyone who's listening and really feels this or something in them is triggered with with shame. It's important to remember that what you've done and the person you are are two different things. And there's a quote from Brian Stevenson, who's a lawyer and a writer. And he said, you cannot, I'm paraphrasing, but you cannot define a person by the worst thing that they have ever done. And a lot of what's happening right now in these cancel culture moments are someone does something, you know, on the scale from bad to really bad, or maybe even meh. And what's happening is, they're being defined as that that event. And people are really treating people as if they're the thing that they've done. And there's a really kind of twisted thing behind that. That's the essence of disposability, right? The fact that humans are disposable. If they've done something once that's bad, we can throw them out, get a new one, follow a new celebrity you like. There's a different person every day that you can get into and become a super fan of. You don't always have to follow this person that maybe you once loved, but said one thing and now you're not a fan. It really is that essence of disposability. And that's come from this culture that we're living in where it's one-time use plastic and one-time use whatever, and we throw it out once we're done. But that's really at this, like, this foundation of where this is coming from. And so people who are listening to this, who are trying to move through the shame, remember 
the person you are and the thing you've done are two separate things and do not conflate the two. The second thing is when we're moving through shame, whether it's recovering from, let's say, an eating disorder like I once was or body shame or sexual abuse or cancel culture or just any of the many forms that shame comes in. So when we're moving through this, the forgiveness exercises, the reason why we do it to us is because I believe, and I can only speak to my experience, I found this effective. I believe that I called in to my field what happened. I absolutely believe I created that. My soul signed up for that. Why? Because of what it taught me and what it made me a vocal proponent of. I really believe I would not I found my calling, I found my service through what happened. That is to help people move through shame. I really feel that if the world was to like shake out, just shed the shame, we would be in such a different place, mm-hmm. such a different, just really in a beautiful place actually. And it's like part of the work is to find people, mentors, teachers, guides who can help you clear that shame. And the reason why we forgive ourselves is because there is something in me, this is where Ho'oponopono comes from. The doctor who created it was a Hawaiian psychologist, worked in a psych ward, and he started to use the Ho'oponopono prayer without meeting his patients. And he would say, look at their bios. And he would say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Thank you. I love you. And he's really saying that to parts of himself where it's mirrored to parts of them. And he found that whether people want to believe this story is real or not, I've heard both ways. Um, I believe it's real is he actually at the end of it had no one left in the psych ward to treat because mm-hmm. all of them had ended, up, had ended up becoming better and leaving. And so the reason why we forgive ourselves is first and foremost to hold compassion for the person we were in the moment of the thing we're ashamed about, right? Like, so Allie said something that made a lot of people feel ashamed of their bodies that made them feel angry. Allie, I love you. In that moment, I have compassion and love for the person you were in that moment. And I forgive you. In that moment, I forgive whoever, whatever iteration of Allie was there. And so this is really where we can go back to when we're trying to heal ourselves from that shame spiral. And then we can move out as we're going up the spiral into who along my journey do I need to forgive mm-hmm. for their role? Because really what that that turns into when we are angry and in such a place with those people where we're like, oh, like what they did to me, it's acidic, it's inflammatory, it's like cortisol inducing. And you also said earlier, it's victim energy. Absolutely. Which is very disempowering. It's very disempowering. And the way we take our power back is by whether or not a lot of people are like, I didn't say whether this thing happened to me. Maybe you didn't, but maybe you did. And what message has more power in it? It's to me more empowering to know that I had complete control and autonomy over saying what was in my field and in my journey. That makes me feel empowered. What makes you feel empowered? Try that one out. None of us really know. So why not just use what works? And so for me, what works is like I called this in and it's here for my higher good. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to also do the work to change the timeline. Yeah. And I have, and there's more work to be done, but every person who's really where I was five years ago, oh my God, my heart goes out to you so much. I love you. You are so loved. You are so perfect. You will get through this. There is another side. And I just want that to really be present in everything that you do, but it's going to take proactive work from you 
to get there. And it, it can be exciting. It can mm. be really exciting. Mm-hmm. Once you start to alchemize and shift this mm-hmm. like lower density stuff out, yeah. it really gets like kind of fun. You're like, magic's real. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Yeah, there there can tend to be a, some resistance layers, you know, initially, but if you can just, yeah, just keep maneuvering your way through it. Once you move through the vast majority of those resistances and yeah, start to go in the upward spiral, that is where it gets really miraculous and super real magic. Mm. And it's funny you landed on what you were just talking about because that was where I drew my arrow to on this piece of paper. Because when I was feeling in, I was thinking of how again, in our own very different ways. But when I had my spiritual awakening, divine intervention moment, it was like I was being faced with like the most horrifying information that was devastating, the greatest anguish I had ever felt. But simultaneously, I was becoming illuminated and more enlightened. And I woke up and the veil lifted. So it was like that both things happening at once. And it was felt so similar and feeling in. And I know there was grander scales than these examples I'm giving, but you had just landed, you know, like you had devoted to this modeling career and you'd just been like offered this huge honor and job to be the first plus size model and all of that. And so there's this illumination and this like bright shining moment and then got coupled with this like darker energy and this, um, this like combustion point. And I wanted to ask, was there a moment along the way after the Perez Hilton and all these articles come out and all of this like attempts at canceling had happened and you're moving your way through it, you know, finding your way through it. (laughs) Was there ever a funny moment of realization where you're just like, oh my God, you have got to be kidding me. This thing is what's shaping into my calling. Yeah. Like, are you effing for real? Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. They always say, "What is it? The medicine is where the wound is, or, where or the, the light. The light enters where the wound yeah, is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, something like that. And I was like, "Damn!" Like, thought that was a cliche, but that is absolutely true. Yeah, there was definitely a, a moment and a point when I fully <laughs> stopped fighting against what was happening, and I was like, "Oh, this is this is it. Like, this is why I'm here." And everything kind of sh- like shifted and in frequency at that Mm. point. And I was, it was a cosmic joke. Like it was so funny. And I remember I I went on to a Pierce Morgan interview and my agents were like, I don't, we don't think you should do it. And I was like, no, like I want him to ask about the thing. And I want to like get this out on the table once and for all. I don't Mm. care. Let's do it. And the whole time before the interview, I put Alanis Morissette, Jack, a little pill album on. And I turned it on to the highest volume. And I was like screaming and running, just naked jumping in my living room and like crying and like just shaking and doing all these things. And I was so ready for that interview. And I show up and I'm like on the 1am slot and he literally doesn't mention it at all. He's like, it's great. We love what you're doing. You're awesome. And I'm like, I just wanted to like cathartically release on Pierce Morgan and it didn't happen. But at the same time, I processed a lot in that that evening and I was ready to share. And from that point on, I've just been more and more falling into this space of realizing the ridiculousness of, it it really is really funny when you really think about everything from this higher level and you're like, these people are getting canceled for things that they said like one time, like 10 years ago. Like that's actually kind of funny, right? Like, it's like, wow, like we forgot that we're this completely dynamic, ever changing 
thing that changes from moment to moment, let alone month to month, year to year. Mm-hmm. And we're like typecasting people as this like in this tiny box of like, that's who you are now. Mm-hmm. You're a problematic fat shamer. That's mm-hmm. who you are. And you're like, but I'm not like, I know I'm not, but how it, it just kind of becomes funny. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. So I think for a lot of people who are suffering from maybe typecasting themselves or typecasting or being typecasted, right. Or put in this box of like, you're, this is you now, like kind of some of the medicine is the comedy mm-hmm. and like, Oh no. Oh no. Screw that. No. Yes. Just literally no. Yes. <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned that, but no. Yeah. And so that kind of is where the medicine can come from too. I agree. I don't know if I answered your question. No, I did. It was good. Um, and I think that like one of the last thing or things that I want to dive into is, you know, we established, we've known each other for a long time. We've gone through many of these trajectories of your journey and how I've been able to witness and at different times be with you in some of these processes. And so now, you know, we've move forward through a bunch of these years. And now we both live in Austin and now you're at this really another intriguing precipice point where I'm not trying to get into like too many specifics, but it appears from my perspective that your soul now is really trying to rightfully so take more charge and take more over and like kind of really corral alley. Again, I'll just say it and I can be totally wrong, but get her corralled out of the modeling world more Uh and more soul unified and aligned with why you're truly here, which is like a lot of what we've been talking about. So it's cool for me to watch and I'm so excited about it. So I think whatever you want to share that's bubbled up in me saying what I just said. And also, I don't know if there's anything that you can bring into the space, like in sharing a shame eradicating practice Mm -hmm. for where you really are now and all the embodiment work you've put in over the last five, six years. Yeah. So yes, I am definitely shifting gears. And I think that that happened either simultaneously or prompted by me giving birth, which was this huge fear of mine. We didn't really go into that, but you know, being pregnant and giving birth was my biggest fear of my entire life. And so now that's done and I've been through it and it happened. I definitely feel a rebirth of energy Mm. moving me in a different direction or maybe not a different direction, but a more aligned direction. I have a business. I started an organic intimate care company called Playdates. So I'm really moving into that entrepreneurial shoes right now, but I'm also co-facilitating my first retreat with a friend of mine in September. And we're doing a workshop in two weeks from now. I've done different things. I've done women's circles, and but this is really my first kind of step into like facilitator role. And my big fear, just like in pregnancy, my big fear was public speaking and really getting in front of a group of people and being like, Hey guys, you know, here's why you should listen to me. I I just was like, I would rash up every time I'd get bright red. I just didn't like a bunch of people looking at me. I have to say now, knock on wood, but I think that's gone. I think Mm. that's cleared. And I'm, I did take mushrooms maybe a month or two ago. And I said, you know, mushrooms, can you allow me to step into this role and cleanse whatever needs to go and, and kind of get this 
fear out of my body. And the next day it was like, my friend wrote me and she's like, do you want to facilitate a retreat with me? And I was like, yeah, they worked, they worked real quick. Wow. And so it was my chance to step up and I'm in the middle in the process of doing that. So yes, I'm in the process of shifting into what I really feel has been my soul's desire mm-hmm. for a very long time. And my focus is on and getting more clear and more more clear on effective modalities for this, but releasing shame or shame eradicator, as you said. And a lot of people are holding on to shame. And so this is a practice that I feel very confident sharing. And I feel like I want to make it the most effective that I can. There's many different modalities that we can use to clear shame, right? There's tons of different options, different roads, different lineages that can take us to the same place. But for me, what I'm excited to practice and excited to utilize in these workshops and retreats are a breath work, a forgiveness exercise and shaking or dancing to really pull up and release shame that is residing in different parts of our bodies. Mm. Cause a lot of the time we can talk, do talk therapy and talk through it, but we can't get that full release because we're not getting into the parts of the body where the shame's living. Mm-hmm. And that looks different for everyone. Some people, it's their hips, some people, it's their throat, some people, it's their chest, their stomach, wherever it's different for everyone. But for me, the biggest way that I helped myself really stay alive, you know, and not, and not really be pulled into that darkness was breath work. And so that's what I can't wait to use in mm. tandem with the intention of really clearing shame from the body. Sounds amazing. And thank you, fungi friends, for helping to facilitate Allie in her journey and stepping yeah. stepping up into that invitation of the work. Yeah, it was fun that day that you told me when we were at our friend Andy and Aziza's house and mm. you're like, guess what? I'm going to co-host a retreat and I have, what do you think? I have this thing called the shame eradicator. And I was like, yeah, shame eradicator. (laughs) Now we're talking and it just like lit my whole being up. Just so excited, not trying to sound corny or whatever, but I just, just like witnessing your evolution Mm -hmm. and your, your journey and to see that you're arriving now at this like, where the spiritual soul led alley is now more at the forefront. Like it's just, I mean, I personally have been waiting for this yeah. moment and I'm like, Oh my God, we're here. Like she's going to lead a, I don't know if you would label it. It's probably more than just like a quote unquote spiritual retreat. Those essences are there. And this mm-hmm. is like a spiritual healing practice that you're going to share. And I think part two, I mean, like, again, shout out to the mushrooms for the help, but the fact that you have so diligently over the course of the last six years, just put in so much work of facing yourself and healing yourself and just really been devoted to whatever transcendence, transmutation processes. And you have arrived at such a truly embodied place. I think that's allowing for you to stand in fr- at the top of the, at the head of the circle mm-hmm. and be a facilitator because you now trust that you are embodied with the teachings you're going to share. Yeah. yeah. You know, and that's the key. It's like, oh, I'm anchored in this. I can truly help others in this because I'm yeah. embodied in this. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's, who I choose to learn from are people who are fully embodied in what they're teaching Mm -hmm. and the people who are really speaking their truth without fear of who they're going to offend. Like those are the people I'm drawn to. 
And that is just a specific like code and language and energy that I'm pulled to. But I also think a lot of other people are pulled to that right now too. Mm -hmm. What's going on, you know, in the world, we're pulled towards people who are like, you know what? Fuck it. This is my truth. Yeah. Like it's a really attractive energy. It is. And I can only hope to embody that even more. And it's going to be a constant practice. So beautiful. I'm so excited. The last little thing that was coming in that just, it feels like it wants to be spoken because it came in like three times in our chat. It took me to this recent experience that Luke and I had, and I'll just give the cliff notes. So keep that in mind as I'm telling this story, but where I'm at in my life and my evolutionary journey, which I am in the midst of just like potentially the most massive change of my existence. Like my, how I'm choosing to live and where I'm allowing myself to be led and guided by spirit, those things look very different than how my life has looked ever before. And so on this one recent day, some, you know, unexpected healing was needing to take place. And I felt like this wave, this like surge of energy coming up over me. I needed to vent out like some anger, some frustration. And I remember Luke and I were in the house and I've not had this experience with him before, but as I was going out to the garage, I was so mad and I like slammed the door as hard as I could. And I went down in the garage. It's serving now partly as our like little gym, which I rarely use, but I'm trying to use more. And I sat on the little mini trampoline. I was just like, you know, just letting myself feel and like trying to identify like, what is this layer? What is this piece? What am I feeling here? Like, and just being with it, right? Sitting with it. And it was just so, you know, uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and so raw, but I'm with it, with it, with it. And it was quite a long process for me down in, in the garage. And then he eventually, maybe half hour later came down and He's like, sweetie, you know, before I go to the office, do you want to come up in the house and do you want to talk about this before I leave? And I was like, I still wouldn't look at him. And I was like, yeah, I just go up there and talk. And so we go upstairs and I sit on the couch and he sits right across from me in a chair. So we're like knee to knee kind of thing. And all of a sudden it's like, because of our union and our trust and just what we are together, what we are individually that allows for us of what we can be together in that safe space. My soul knew it was like time for the next unlocking of what needed to be expressed that day. And he's like, go ahead and start to tell me what you're frustrated about. And I, you know, we're holding hands and I just remember clinching onto his hands and I, my eyes were closed and I just started screaming, I need you to listen to me. I need you. I mean, at the top of my lungs, I've in my life never screamed like this Mm. ever. Mm. I mean, it was blood curdling screaming and I was squeezing his hands and just, just like my being needed this outlet. And I remember saying to him, I screamed it three times top of my lungs. Then I just like, I couldn't even muster that level for the fourth. So it died kind of down. And then I was just like breathing. And then I, and then right away, my eyes were closed and I started to say to him out loud. And now as soon as you leave, I'm going to feel like a horrible person. And I'm going to feel so much shame and embarrassment that I scream this way. And he said, sweetie, I'm like, what? He's like, I need you to open your eyes. And I'm still gripping his hands. My tendons are still a little sore from how hard I was gripping. And I, I opened my eyes and looked at him and he's like, sweetie, there's nothing you can ever do that will ever change the love I have for you. Mm. 
I only love you more and more. I unconditionally love you. So there's no point. There's no reason for you to let yourself for a second get pulled into shame because there's nothing you can do that will change the love Mm -hmm. I have for you. And like to be held in that level of space and that was coming in because I just thought to myself, okay, that was on a micro scale, like where the power of me being able to unlock that stored thing and that expression of, I need you to listen to me. It wasn't necessarily, and I know it was not all for Luke. It was that scream was screamed toward stuff from my childhood to my ex. It was like a locked in dormant, but festering peace in me that hadn't ever been in safe enough space to be fully expressed. And because I know Luke and the union we have, and he trusts me and knows like that scream isn't coming from like, he knows the place from which these full expression outlets need to be coming from, from me. So there's a lot involved in this being able to be held in such a safe, healthy dynamic. But the fact that my soul knew I'm in an unconditionally loving relationship that allowed that really old, ancient, deep healing to take place. And I just thought to myself in our conversation a number of times, like, my God, can you imagine if on a more macro scale, mm. more humans knew they can walk safely upon this planet and be held and unconditional love and be held and greater compassion. It would just allow for such deeper healing to move through people and to be expressed. And I don't know if what I'm saying makes sense at all, Absolutely. but it's just like the medicine of what Luke and I shared in that day to somehow got brought into our conversation yeah. 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 That's that energy of like complete unconditional love is the antidote to shame. And for people who aren't in a relationship like that, or people who maybe don't have a person in their life like that, the person that becomes that is you. It's that it's you, your higher self is like, I am, I unconditionally love myself. Only God can cancel. Yes. And that's it. And then when you move into that space and if, you know, luckily my husband is just super, super supportive, unbelievably supportive. And so that's been a massive part of my healing journey, but also with me being right with source, being right with self and higher self and realizing like there's nothing I could do that would make me not love myself. That's that kind of unconditional love for yourself is one of the purest, easiest. If you want easy, quick ways to move through shame, like that's it right there. Mm. It's like, there's nothing, no, no action I took, no action I will take will ever make me not love myself. And I think that if we can hold that energy for ourselves, even if others can't, then we'll be okay. Yeah. And I guess the last little piece is that I think you and I can be so healthily in the space we're talking about, because again, we live in devotion to doing the work and well, I don't want to keep speaking for you, but I know for me, and it seems for you, like I've arrived to a place where I just, I know myself, I trust myself. I know the way that I operate life and like call me boastful, arrogant, whatever. But I think I figured a lot of this shit out Mm -hmm. and I've gained a lot of mastery. And I was just thinking today, in fact, I put it in my phone notes and I'm not trying to say that the way I live is the way for everyone, Mm -hmm. 
but I put in my notes, I feel like I figured out how you're supposed to live. Like I figured out how you're supposed to do it here on earth. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's through a lot of <laughs> fires and fucking countless hours, years of shadow work and all the things, but through holding that line and being in devotion to living in the accordance of the messages of great spirit, my soul and great mother earth, like these arrival points that you and I are so fortunate and we put in the work to sit in, that, that is what allows, because we have taken responsibility. Yeah, it's like we have this deep ability to unconditionally love because we're able to reflect on all the times we took responsibility and put the work in and we trust ourselves to be in the full spectrum. Yeah. We're no longer in resistance to anything that yeah. presents. We know how to healthily be with it all in relation yeah. with it all. Yeah. And I think one of those key things is resistance. It's the resistance that it's, what is it? Alan Watts paradox. It's like the more you try to achieve happiness, the more unhappy you will be. And so when the more we try to move through shame and force it out of us, interestingly, it's like, doesn't always work as cleanly as we would want it. It's more like, can I call in being okay with having bits of myself that I don't accept fully right now? Mm -hmm. Can I be okay with that? Mm -hmm. Can I be okay with myself not being my highest peak self at the moment? Can I be cool with that? And that really is the ultimate way to kind of get to this place of full acceptance of self. Right. And it would be different if you saw those pieces that maybe couldn't be labeled your brightest shining pieces, but you never looked at those. You know what I'm saying? Or like never like did any examination and really gone in there. It's like through doing that and every mind, body, spirit level of you knows and trusts, that's your diligence. And like, that is what you do. And like, that is what then opens us up into that place of like true embodied unconditional love. I'm just glad we were able to have this storytelling time medicine on the energy of today. This will air much later, but we happen to be sitting in the power of the solstice sun. And I've never felt the energetics of a solstice like I do on today's. And so I thought, oh, it's so perfect. These two conversations, yours and the one I'm having after with Daniel Duran, like, I'm like, yeah, it just felt so right to have these particular transformational medicines go out to the world today. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect timing and all kind of happened. I don't even know if you planned this to happen on the solstice, but not consciously. It was only, I had, yeah, I'd booked it. And then I was like, Oh, so before we wrap, like just anything else that feels unsaid that you want to (sighs) share? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think if anyone who's listening is like I said, in a place of shame where they feel unable to move through their day-to-day life with joy, or if someone knows someone that's like that, or they want to have the tools to move forward in the future to be strong, to be courageous when we come up against any of the stuff I've been talking about. There are things that can really reinforce and make yourself stronger for when those moments come. And those things are really honoring integrity above all else. So 
no matter what is it that you value, what is the hill that you die on? What is like, what is it that you believe so fully that no matter what anyone else comes and says, you're messed up for saying this, you're like, no, this is my truth. And really get clear on what that is for you. Everyone has a different version of truth or different truth. And so really get clear on what it is you believe and whether that's coming from an energy of love or something else. The second thing is self-censorship. The best way that we can start to transmute the energy going on in the world right now is to really radical honesty speak our truth. And that might not look like I don't want to I don't want to say to anyone to go out onto your social media and say all the things that you believe because that actually isn't the best thing to do. It's not very responsible with your energy or your time nor with other people's, but it's really to find out how can we speak in a way where this is our full value system and I'm not going to let whatever the popular belief is of this time influence that. And I'm going to speak it in my interpersonal circles where I know I'm safe, right? I would never say even for me to go onto my social media, be like, I believe this deal with that. Well, is that space appropriate to the thoughts that you're, does everyone need to hear your thoughts on this subject matter, right? Like not everyone needs to hear everybody's thoughts and opinions on everything. We don't, but if there's something you're really passionate about, get comfortable with speaking up, even if it makes you uncomfortable, even if it makes other people in the room you share with uncomfortable and get comfortable in that, Mm -hmm. right? Like that's something I'm practicing the last two months is that radical honesty and being like, I don't really care how this is received. Mm -hmm. This is my truth. I'm saying it with love. It's all I can do. Mm -hmm. And since I've been doing that, I can't tell you the ways in which my life has changed and evolved and become better. And I really feel a sense of ease in my body, maybe for the first time in my whole life. And so we can start to regulate our nervous systems when we don't self-censor, especially when the situation is calling for it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's everything. That feels really good. Yeah. Even though some of the duties I've been tasked with and certain aspects of my calling and potentially even my entire calling, you know, it's presented in ultra intriguing voyage this time. But as you have said, and I have said on previous shows, like if I'm right with God goddess, I'm good. Yeah. And I'm right with God goddess. Mm -hmm. Like I live in direct vertical alignment with source, great spirit, my own soul, the instructions and calling of my soul and great mother earth. And I am steadfast in holding that line and have gained mastery in holding that line. And while holding that line doesn't mean that waves don't attempt to enter in or crash over, but I think, thank you again, God, goddess, and all of my support system, both in the seen world and unseen worlds for working with me, Jesus, 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 thank you. You've played a huge role in me being able to be steadfast and holding the line that I need to hold. And Mm. like that has brought the greatest richness and miracles and gifts that ultimate soul level, deepest liberation, because I am 
living in accordance with why I incarnated here. And I allow myself to fully authentically be me, even if it's strong or bad tasting or triggering medicine to others that live outside of the orb that I live in. But, you know, I've got a lot of folks that are also in that orb and fully get it. And the last little thing I'll say is, yeah, I mean, when you're here and you're a visionary, a prophet and whatever you can see into the ways of the future that you've been sent here to embody and help initiate, of course, that's going to be rattling to those who can't see those same visions and aren't able to access into those grandest scale pictures that you've been gifted to be able to see into. Yeah, as medicine people, we trust and know why we're here and we hold that medicine line forward. Aho. Mm. Aho. Oh, this was nice. This is so nice. Such a nice <laughs> chat, casual chat. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. I really enjoyed talking about all of that again. Good. It's like another level of purification. Yes, mm-hmm. I hear you on that. So your Instagram handle at Allie Tate? At Allie underscore Tate okay. underscore Cutler. That's where you can find my retreats, my podcasts, my influencer fashion stuff, if you're into that. Um, and then Playdates is, I love Playdates, is the Instagram for my organic intimate care line, which we're all systems go on that. Cool. Happy to hear that. Yeah. Excited to check it out. Yeah. Play with it, smell it. Is it, you don't eat any of it. It's all no. just, okay. I'm like, I was about to say eat it, but I was like, maybe don't eat it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, it wouldn't hurt you, but yeah, no, it's for our first product. Yoni Aftercare is for refreshing our intimate areas on the go. Maybe when we don't have showers available, red eye flights, post wax. So it could laser. be eaten. I mean, <laughs> listen, FTA might be hearing this, so okay, I'm not okay. going to say it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I'll put links to all of Ali's platforms in the show notes. And every week when the new episode comes out, I always put a beautiful show graphic and tag the guests. You can find her on my page too. So thank you soul fam for co-facilitating in these healing, these needed healing transcendent medicines that were spoken about today. Thank you for sitting around this. Wow. I just felt like a big wave of energy. Yeah, me too. Thank you for sitting at this solstice fire and sun magic energy with us today. And we will sit with you again next time. Thank you. Thank you. No, 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 no. Thank you. (laughs) Woo-wee. What a powerful voyage that was. It is always so fun and such an honor to share space with these beautiful beings willing to generously share their time, wisdom, and energy so we can have the opportunity to enrich our own lives. And we will always share each epic guest's links and contact info in the show notes that are on my website, alisoncharles.com, and also in my weekly Ceremony Circle podcast Instagram posts at I am Allison Charles. So it makes it easy for you to connect more deeply with them. And fam, you know by now all the heart I put into creating this show. And I would love to be able to continue providing this free content for a long, long time to come. And what would be most supportive in me being able to do that is if you have ever felt you've gained anything positive at all from listening to a Ceremony Circle podcast episode, if it's brightened your day, if it's given you clarity or insights you've been waiting for, if you felt a healing shift during one of the closing ceremony practices, anything at all, 
If you can just stay on whatever platform you're now listening to this show and simply go to the rating and review section and share even one reason why you're grateful for Ceremony Circle Podcast. Sacred reciprocity is a big deal and I deeply appreciate you giving back to me so I can keep creating and providing. Sending you so much love. This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only, and my intention is not to provide medical advice or diagnosis. You should always consult a health professional before making drastic changes to your diet or lifestyle.